How can we better equip ourselves to take on the new day, our goals, and the world? How do we stoke our inspiration? By dropping in, we'll hear from credible experts on ways to thrive in this environment. As persons trying to cope, as workers learning to pivot in our careers, and as those curious about life, wellness, family, healing, and humor, we'll learn by sharing stories. Like the watering hole, dropping in is a communal place. People who've had the courage to tell their stories offer the nuggets they've gathered along the way. They bring us the spark to confront what matters. Everybody everywhere is on a hero's journey of trying to survive and do well. Stories from these diverse sources pave the way, even if the paths are new or unknown. Drop in with us to discover the roots and where we go from here. And now, here's our host, Diane Dewey. Welcome to Dropping In, everyone. This is a time when we're being called to make ethical and moral choices and to declare what we stand for. So it's a perfect time to speak with Deborah Thomas, author of Lutz, a novel. It's an award-winning, timeless depiction of the depths of family devotion coupled with a moral crisis and in the blaze of a first love. Lutz conveys with compassion and insight the plight of those desperate to cross to the U.S. border to achieve the American dream from Mexico. The American dream that exists in our imagination in El Norte. Welcome to Dropping In, Deborah. Thank you for having me, Diane. I'm so happy to be here. Well, it's a beautiful book, and it's a book that provided me with the much-needed catharsis, uh, and it's an emotional story, and it's a sweeping story. Uh, one of the things oh, that I th- is central to it um, is this question of the American dream, whether or not the American dream still exists for immigrants who've crossed the border. You've done extensive work with immigrants. How long have you been working with the immigrant community before or while you were writing this book? Uh, well, it started in the 1990s. I was teaching English as a second language to adults from all over the world, actually, but many were from Mexico and Central America. So I was you know, very familiar with what their lives were like uh, in their home countries, Uh, why they came, how difficult it was, and how difficult it was once they got here. Although I have to say, not everyone comes for, quote, the American dream. Um, You know, there are many reasons why they come. And, uh, you know, very often it's, you know, fleeing danger and violence, and they're coming for safety or extreme poverty, and they're looking for somewhere, anywhere, uh, where they can begin again. So... um, I think when we think of the American dream, we often think of, you know, oh, I want to buy a house, I want to have a great career, I want to, you know, have a family. And while everybody wants that, you know, you you can have that in any country, but in many situations, they are driven uh, for heartbreaking reasons to leave what was their dream. So just wanted to throw that out there. And I think that that's really central to what I was thinking, because Alma, she reaches, right, a safe portal. It's something that becomes home, but it really exactly. made me, 
Yes, it made me question, you know, she had suffered some emotional neglect uh, at the hands of her mother who was preoccupied and in a second partnership after the disappearance, the departure of her migrant worker father. So for Alma, it was just maybe reaching a shore, reaching a safe shore, a safe portal in the storm. Um, And I think uh, that really clarifies for me Something that I realized is this is maybe a patronizing view of America, that there's this dream intact, when in fact, we may be the only ones who think there's a dream intact. Others are just looking to be able to live their lives. Um, so Exactly. That- for her, she becomes a math teacher, or and she studies mathematics, which was her first love. And what were you going to say in terms of how she, you know, well, manifested herself well what i was going to say is she doesn't come here uh her uh, on her of her own wanting oh i want to go to el norte and and have a better life she goes because her father who would travel there for months at a time to work send money home send gifts home and then come home to oaxaca and be with the family for as long as he could but he couldn't sustain a living there And so he would go back again, and he had done this for decades, which many men have done, where they come across, they work the farms, they've done it for a very long time in our history, and and back and forth. And that's what he had done, and he disappears. Now, she wanted, she loved school, and young girls in Oaxaca very often stop going to school after primary school um, in the midst of what we call junior high, um, and they don't go on for an education. Their parents need them either to work or to take care of other children, Uh, and so it's very common for families to discourage education for girls, but in her case, her father encouraged her. He was so proud of her, and he said, yes, you're going to go finish school. You're going to go on to college. Yes, you can be a teacher. You know, he believed, you know, after, and of course, we talk about Dolores Huerta and the farm worker movement as well in the book and the whole um, idea of anything can be done if we're determined and passionate and, you know, set our mind to it. And so he told his daughter, nothing is impossible. So when he disappears, her champion is gone. Her ability to financially continue going to school is gone and she has to quit school and work. And so what she's looking for is not only this father that she adores and that they don't know what happened to him, but she's trying to find, again, this life that she had hoped for, um, you know, an education, a better life than just the poverty that she's known. So she's looking for many things when she comes, looking for her father. That's the reason for her trip. And, of course, once she does get across the border, despite Uh, horrible uh, situations and some wonderful ones, she does manage to find a, a, a home. She does manage to find a place where she belongs. It's so uh, stunning, the personal aspect, and I think that's why we're carried through with these characters, especially Alma. She's on a personal quest, as you say. She's lost her father. Her father is her lighthouse. He's the one who believes in her. And it's so symbolic that then she is traveling to another country that has kind of a um, sort of patriarchal presence. Um, and along the way, she meets Manuel, um, and who I think if Manuel didn't exist, I'm not sure that we would have 
made it as far as she did. But yes, she's pulled by this void in her life, the absence of her father. And that does create a need for just a basic feeling of security. I know that you've been writing this book since 2004. It's 2020. I can tell you (laughs) that time has paid off in dividends. There are so many plot twists. It's such an absorbing story. But give us an idea of how that evolution occurs through 16 years um, and how you devised the story, how you lived with the story, how it came alive for you. Okay, thank you for asking that question. It's uh, got many layers to it. As I said, I... You know, I taught ESL, and um, and it was at a time in my life when I was having some personal problems, and I was 3,000 miles away from my own family. Uh, my upbringing, I'm Italian-American, and I grew up uh, my earliest years in an Italian neighborhood, um, and of course, every weekend, even once my parents moved about five whole minutes away from <laughs> the Italian neighborhood, we, our, our life mm-hmm. revolved around it. So when I was with my students uh, from Mexico and Central America, so much of it reminded me of my Italian upbringing. The language is so very similar. My father used to say things to me in Italian that sounded like Spanish that you could easily translate. Um, the music, the ranchera music, was just like the music my grandfather played on his little small hand uh, accordion. Um, you know, the, the Virgin Mary, the Virgin of Guadalupe, the focus on the Catholic Church and the mother. So many things. I felt a connection and they gave me such comfort when I was going through this difficult time. So I felt a fierce connection. And around this time, well, actually a few years after that, um, the deaths in the desert started making their way into the news, the LA Times. I would read week after week that people trying to cross the border um, were dying in the desert because um, our, you know, our government had started putting up more and more fences. There was Operation Gatekeeper in California, uh, and they were pushing them further east. It was supposed to be prevention through deterrence, but it didn't deter. They were desperate. There was great poverty in Mexico with the devalued peso, and they were coming east through the desert and through the mountains, and they were dying, and the numbers were increasing, and I was just just so upset by this. I um, got involved in some um, uh, immigrant rights groups, Amnesty International um, and Water Stations Project. With Amnesty, I went to I got to tour um, a detention center, which is literally a prison, literally like being in prison. Uh, mm-hmm. And then I got to an experience with border links um, in Nogales, Arizona, Nogales, Mexico, where they take you across the border. You get to talk with people on both sides, border patrol, people who live there, um, AIDS groups. It was a fascinating experience, really eye-opening and um and at that point, I decided I wanted to write about it as well because I've, I am, you know, I have been writing for decades. So anyway, I started thinking I had to do it the way I call it the Barbara Kingsolver approach where uh, her characters are usually white young women on a mission. They've got the central theme of the novel is about them and their conflict, but somewhere in her novel is threaded through themes of social justice. In The Bean Trees, it's refugees from Guatemala, for example, Um, And so I thought that's what I needed to do. So I began writing a novel called Blue Flags, which symbolizes the blue flags that you put in the desert um, uh, next to water. 
which was another experience I had, Water Stations Project. Um, and um, so I began with that novel. I, I wrote a first draft, and it was, you know, like my point of view, an Italian-American woman who comes to Cal- Southern California and through a series of events ends up learning about the deaths in the desert. That's not the central focus of the book, but it was a part of it. I wrote the first draft, set it aside, and I took a class with Gail Brandeis, who is the winner of the Barbara Kingsolver Award for her novel, and um, the Book of Dead Birds. And I don't remember what the assignment was, but I began writing in the voice of a young Mexican girl whose father was a migrant farm worker who goes missing. And Mm -hmm. it just poured out of me because, uh, you know, I wasn't thinking I'm going to write a novel. Should I or shouldn't I from this point of view? Do I have a, you know, a right to do this? I I just, I didn't know where it was going to go. I just wrote and her voice just flowed. It was the most, uh, the way I put it is most fluid writing experience I've ever had. And as a writer, you know what I mean? That doesn't come easy. And, um, and so, uh, the, the novel just poured out of me. Now that was between 2004, 2006. I tried desperately to find an agent and you know how mm-hmm. difficult that is for someone who has no, you know, uh, uh, uh you know, no know, name. What, what would you say? Yeah, Reputation. no name. Yeah, no reputation. Um, Who the heck um, am I, right? Yes, I, wasn't I know. I'm sorry. Barbara, let me, let me so, just, uh, let's just pause here for a second because you've unpacked quite a lot. Um, I'm back on the sort of channeling that you felt with Alma and the way the story poured okay. forth. And you, you, you said a crucial word there, which was right. Did I have the right to tell the story? Because, of course, mm-hmm. your novel uh, emerged on the scene on the heels of Janine Cummings' book, um, American Dirt. Exactly. Which created quite a controversy over the appropriation of Latinx um, experience by uh, Caucasian authors. Um, And I think, you know, the dust was just settling when, um, if it settled at all, because I still hear a lot of, I think, extremely well-founded commentary on, by the Latinx community. You know, there's a lot of um, mis- steps, there's things that don't ring true. What I would say about your book, and you vetted your book um, with a very well-known um, Latin, Latina author, um, and she had the same apprehensions, and she gave it her blessing, which I think was yeah. very wise on your part, that, that all of it did ring true to the immigrant experience. And that's to your credit for sure. I also wondered when you were just unpacking this uh, process of writing this book, um, I wondered about your own, you said you'd hit a rough patch in your life. And I wondered if the emotional trauma and the journey of healing emotional trauma was also coming out of you as a person not just as an author. Oh, most definitely, because in 2005, in the middle of writing this, I lost my mother, something you can relate to. Mm -hmm. Uh, So writing about loss, writing about, you know, um, um, such deep sadness, well, it was very real. So absolutely. Okay, and then take us back to now you've got this, it's hot in your hands. You don't know what to do with this manuscript, but you're proudly holding it. And then what <laughs> happens for the next, the next, say, 14 years? 
Okay, so as I said, I, I was struggling to find an agent, and it actually took a couple years, and I found one. And she um, sent it to a lot of the uh, ed- big editors, big houses in New York, and they asked for full manuscripts, and a couple of them held on to it for a few months. And so I was all excited, oh, I'm going to get published. And then, oh, this was in 2008, 2009, the recession Ultimately, mm-hmm. they passed. I would hear things like, we've already, we've chosen something, you know, similar to this or whatever. I, I didn't know. And so that was the end of it. Boom. It was over. And I, I, I was stunned. And I was told a few years later, you couldn't have picked a worse time to try to get a first novel published, especially mm-hmm. fiction. Uh, that things had just, uh, that there were people who got yeses from publishing houses only to find uh, that their editors were let go and the book was, was now dead too. So, it right. was a tough time. So I was devastated and just, I stopped writing for a while and I set it aside and um, did other things. And then in 2014, I wanted to feel like a writer again. So I went to a conference and I met Elizabeth McKenzie. Uh, she was uh, heading one of the, the workshops I attended. And over lunch, she heard me talk about the novel and she said, you know, that sounds interesting. I'd love to take a look at it, which over a period of months, she finally did. And said to me, you know, this is this is the real deal. You need to get your blood, sweat, and tears back into this to get it out there. But she gave me several great pointers on what I could do to make it even better. Mm-hmm. At that point, I struggled with a rewrite. It took me a while. <laughs> Finally, I got going. And um, when I had finished, uh, I sat there thinking, do I want to go, you know, through all this again, trying to find an agent? And that's when Gail Brandeis told me about She Writes Press which, as you know, right. is, a, is a hybrid press, and it's been a wonderful, I think they began in 2012. They have an incredible reputation. Um, you have to put a little money out, but you get uh, higher royalties, and they have, um, um, uh, what do they call it, traditional um, distribution, traditional right. distribution. And so, they have an agent, um, said, yes. Yes, so, I think, um, I, yes. I Barbara, and so she she writes picked it up, and I just wanted to give listeners an idea of how interwoven and internizing the process of writing and publishing can be. I think Mm -hmm. that your book emerged even stronger for it, and as a friend of mine says, there's no good time to do anything, so you might as well plow ahead. (laughs) Um, You know, Uh uh, sometimes these delays even have their own twilight meaning. We don't know what it is when we're in them, but I just want listeners to really understand there's really no such thing as a kind of like overnight success and overnight like it just happened you know um, it flew Mm -hmm. out of the it flew into the computer into the into the publisher's hands no there's sometimes a very rich um, and interwoven you know process to it we have um, just about a half a minute to this segment before we need to cut to a commercial but I want people to um, have a flavor when I here's a quote from the book when I told of my fall from the boxcar they looked blankly at me when I spoke finally reacting with wide eyes and gasp as he relayed the details moments later. So to our listeners, understand this is an action-packed story. It's a compact story. And it's a story that's told in very few words for considering the sweep of what happens. When we come back, we're going to talk with Deborah Thomas more about how her characters endured, how they survived, and what they triumphed over. 
Don't go away. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Books Forward exemplifies excellence in book marketing and promotion, representing New York Times bestsellers, national award-winning books, and books that catch fire on social media and in the digital realm. Books Forward creates ambitious campaigns with unlimited possibilities for sparking buzz while creatively cutting through the noise. Your book deserves to launch with experts who have set the bar in the industry. To learn more, visit booksforward.com or send us an email at info at booksforward.com. A JKS Communications Company. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Deborah Thomas, author of a powerful new novel called Loose. I've been corrected over the course of the break, and it's it's on me. I'm sorry, I didn't realize the correct pronunciation of Lutz. I can tell you that the foreword to Deborah Thomas's book um, was created by Alma Luz Villanueva, and she cited the authenticity that she found in this novel. I think there's such a feeling that you, Deborah, really inhabited the characters and then drew from your very real experience with the immigrant community emerging in this country from Mexico. And as we know, Jeff Sessions was recently quoted in Congress as saying, absolutely, Children must be separated from their families in, you know, ICE. So it's still an extremely timely subject, a painful subject, one that's getting buried in a lot of election year topics that are also essential. But heaven knows this is still a critical issue. And the quality of life for immigrants coming to this community, in coming to the community of, um, in this case, Alma um, immigrated and it wound up in Los Angeles. But I wondered if you could even talk about it in terms of, I felt almost the fragility of something like the Underground Railroad, the the sense of always being in, in, being in a precarious state of potentially being discovered, deported, shift, mm-hmm. you know, shipped back. Um, do you mm-hmm. find that that's the sense of it even now um, that you you know have lived with this um, experience now for a while? Is this resonant even today? Well, it's even more so today. I mean, mm-hmm. in fact, when when my character, uh, the novel takes place in two, well, the journey part takes place in two thousand two thousand one. And so those years, it wasn't quite as dangerous about being, I mean, people were, but it wasn't as, as terrifying. Um, and, and, you know, you didn't have to be quite so paranoid. 
um, it, it wasn't until the current administration that a father dropping off his children at school could be whisked away right in front of them. I mean, that, that uh-huh. and so you don't, you, I didn't write about that until the end when Luce herself speaks, the daughter, who uh, in, I think it's 2017, and she speaks of her fear that her mother could be deported. You know, this woman who's been through so much and who has made a life here and her home is now here with her daughter and with Berta and with her half-brother Diego. Um, and so uh, definitely more so now than it was, you know, 20 years ago. And the other thing that was striking, because we're talking about the year 2001 and on, Alma is the mother, Lutz is her daughter, it means light, and so the coming of the light. Mm-hmm. Um, there's so much mm-hmm. that's transcendent, and we'll get to that. But the other thing that is really a miracle, a minor miracle, or you know, a big fat miracle is that Alma even is able to connect with her half-brother Diego given that no one can really communicate in the light of day right it's not as though you're sitting there having internet searches everything's traceable so like the Underground Railroad in a present day situation people to think about it you know, something that is, it, it replicates that situation. You can't even really mm-hmm. speak or communicate openly to relatives that oh. may be living within 20 miles of you. I mean, that's mm-hmm. such a disheartening sense of isolation. And does that isolation still exist in this community? Well, I think, again, it's more so now than it would have been 20 years ago. I mean, she, uh, their family... When she was in Oaxaca, she didn't have a telephone, um, and so occasionally they would go to a neighbor, and her sister Rosa did call Berta's and, and Diego when the father first went missing to find out, did they know anything, and they didn't know, no one knew anything. Um, and so there was some communication, but Alma herself had never met or spoken with Diego until she gets to Los Angeles. But now, even more so, uh, you know, certainly there's there's concern and worry um, with the current administration as to how as to how safe you are, um, you know, going out in public, especially to a very public place. Um, so like yeah. school. Yeah. I mean, and when you talk about the blue flags marking water, I mean, that is because many people mm-hmm. perish in the desert from thirst, right? They they are they are dehydration. Dehydration. Yeah, and to me, even the central storyline which is absolutely authentic um is that the loss of her father, Alma, she doesn't know what becomes mm-hmm. of him. Okay, try to picture this as a dominant culture. You don't know what happened to your father. It's unimaginable. So right, right there, right. The, the central situation is incomprehensible to us. Um, so it puts in perspective, I think, the incredible hierarchy of um, problems beginning with fundamental knowledge of your family and security that people are enduring in this day and age, really, I, I, mm-hmm. I, we have to ask ourselves, can we live this way? It's, it's just beyond, really. Um, and I think that it, it goes back, it harkens back to this idea of, of taking a stand of who we are and what we need to um, assert as in terms of our moral compass. You really... Exactly. Right. And thank you for writing the yeah. book to do just that. Is that why you wrote the book or... 
certainly. I just wanted to make one, when you mentioned the blue flags and the water, uh, you know, there are many very compassionate people out there who do all sorts of things to try to help. Uh, and one of them was Water Stations Project. Father Richard Estrada um, and Enrique Morones and John Hunter were three men who created this um, organization that would go out in the desert and, and leave jugs of water and mark it with a blue flag. And they would pick strategic places where they had heard bodies had been found. Now, there are actually people who go out and dump those bottles of water or puncture them or no. put something else in them. It's just heartbreaking. Yes. And, and again, you know, to me, the reason I love fiction, because I think a novel fiction can draw the reader in to actually experience something. And at the same time, you know, like, well, like Atticus Finch said, you know, climb in the skin and, and walk around in it. You know, you really feel what that character goes through. And so you might have a different perception of something. And at the same time, you're going to connect with how we're alike, our shared humanity. Uh, everyone, uh, you know, there's no one out there who, who can't relate to a father struggling to support, to provide for his family or a daughter who doesn't know where her father is and trying to, to find him. Um, and so I was hoping to convey what I had seen and heard, the voices that I've listened to, the, the, the things I've read. I wanted to convey this experience and hopefully my readers, you know, would, would, would feel it and experience it. And to my joy, I have had a few people tell me, I didn't know anything about these things going on at the border. I live somewhere where we never hear about it. And oh my gosh, now I know. That was to me wonderful. And a, another wonderful response was, was a former student of mine uh, whose mother came over through, out from El Salvador through the deserts. And she was skeptical. My student, my, the young woman, Latina was skeptical. What would, what would I know about this? And she said she immediately got drawn in, that she saw Alma and Luz as her mother and herself, and that when the book was finished, she had a conversation with her mother that she had never had before, and she found out things that happened to her mother that she didn't know, and she had a renewed respect and awe for what her mother had been through to come here and give her the life she has. That meant the world to me. I got chills right now, you know, thinking about it. That's why I wrote the book. Yes, you're... Yes, thank you. Your passions come through, and I think that that translates into compassion as a reader, and it was a real eye-opener for me. I obviously learned quite a lot, and the sense that you bring, you're balancing to me, you're balancing in a very strategic way fiction and nonfiction, because the three persons that you mentioned just now who founded Water Stations are real-life people. Mm -hmm. Dolores Herte mm-hmm. is a real-life pe- person. And I think that that gives it that much more credibility. Your passion for these people, you can't even call them characters. I mean, they translate to characters in a fictional story. But what a wonderful vehicle, uh, Deborah, for really bringing to life um, a critical situation and as you say, people emptying the water bottles, come on. I mean, it's, there's so much that's actually incomprehensibly heartbreaking. It, but when you, you is, yeah, you mentioned in the book also Temecula. I, my ears, my antenna went up because uh, a friend of our family lives in Temecula. Did I ever hear about that yes. aspect of, of Temecula? 
No, I never heard a thing. Mm-hmm. So it was well, a you, if, huge eye opener. Well, you think of anywhere where there's, um, you know, grapes or, you know, any kind of, um, you know, farms or ranches, you know, you're, you're going to find people working there. Um, but of course, you can even look beyond that. I mean, you know, the reason that, that people come here is because they are hired. They find jobs easily. They can make 10, 20 times the money, even more than that. I, I, I don't know the numbers anymore than they could make um, in, 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 their, in their villages. Um, and not to mention those now from Central America that are fleeing out and out violence and horrible situations that are simply seeking safety. You know, we're not talking about, you know, trying to necessarily make a better life economically, which is very serious. We're talking about people seeking safety for themselves and their children. And I cannot imagine traveling that distance from Central America all the way to our border with children and then to have them taken from you. Oh, I can't. Oh my gosh. I can't believe that happened in our country. I can't believe at, that happened. At our hands. At our hands. Mm-hmm. Give me mm-hmm. thy poor, thy, you know. Really, the Statue of Liberty. Um, I think, to this monumental journey, there is something, um, you know, heroic, something Homeric about it, even though it's a very real political situation that we need to be concerned about and is riveting in this book. It's also representative of so many of our journeys. And yes, if you went to these mm-hmm. lengths and then had yeah, your daughter taken from your hands, which, you know, Alma was always in fear of with Lutz. Um, and of course, then the riposte, this idea that somehow these jobs are taking away from Americans. I don't think so. I distinctly no. remember having um, lived on a farm where there was no American that was going to come in and do the grape harvest. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, we were secretly um, helping to have the, the migrant workers, um, kids be in school, but that had to be very covert. And it's just a fearful existence. It's something, and yet our economy depends so closely um, on it. It's really such an incredible balance that we're not working walking with humanity. I hope that your book contributes to that. You've won a number of awards. Tell us about that aspect. Well, I was thrilled uh, even before the book actually launched to find out that I was the winner of the 2020 Next Generation Indie Book Award for Multicultural Fiction, uh, and I was a finalist for the International Book Awards, and then I was chosen by the Pulpwood Queens um, Book Club as a 2021 uh, book selection, so I'm really excited about that. Awesome. So, Congratulations. Um, the yeah, people at She Writes you. Press, yeah, they know what they're doing. And Brooke Warner is a, a oh, wonderful yeah. editor and publisher. But it's true that, um, you know, the alternative hybrid publishing does pick up on books that might fall through the cracks in traditional publishing because they're stories that hmm, maybe people don't want to hear about this kind of tragedy. Maybe people don't, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they want to be unconcerned and look how much, you know, the government and the party line and the way people are thinking these days, plus COVID and all the other things that are like way on top of everyone's consciousness, you know. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because one thing 
that I do want to say about that whole thing is, yes, we're living through a very depressing time for many, many, many reasons. And, you know, so many people will say, oh, I'm so tired of reading the news. I can't bear to watch. I can't bear to to go on social media. And I understand. But at the same time, we can't look away. We can't. We need to be aware and we need to care. You know, take a little break if you need, but come back and you've got to take a stand and you, you can't just ignore the horrendous things that are happening in our own country. You know, we have to. All I can say is imagine if it was you. Imagine if you were suffering and no one was listening. Uh, So Mm -hmm. take a break Mm -hmm. if you need it. If you've got what they call pandemic fatigue or compassion fatigue, and then come Mm -hmm. back. So. Right. And I think that's a point well taken. Also, these we are people who, after all, even if we're um, self-isolating, are in our homes. We have homes. We have homes that constitute a sense of security and a sense of place. And I think that finding home is such a central theme in this book. Alma makes this heroic voyage. We're not going to do any spoiler alerts without, I mean, hopefully, because really I would urge right. anyone to, to read this book. It's a book of struggle. It's a book of triumph. It's a book of familial bonds. Um, and there's a lot to you know, to counteract, I think, even the crisis mode, there's a lot of beauty, transcendent moments in the book. And when we come back, I want to, oh, for me, there was a lot to behold that way. And when we come back, we're going to take a a commercial break here. When we come back, we're going to find out about those lighter moments, and we're going to find out about the night of the thousand stars. Don't go away. We're here talking with Deborah Thomas, author of the powerful new novel, Lutz. We'll be right back on Dropping In. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. She Writes Press is an independent publishing company founded for women writers everywhere. Together with sister company Spark Press, serving men and women, it is both mission-driven and community-oriented. The aim is to serve writers who wish to maintain greater ownership and control of their projects while getting the highest quality editorial help possible, traditional distribution, and an in-house marketing and publicity team. In 2019, She Writes Press was named Indie Publisher of the Year. You can find out more on SheWritesPress.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Dropping In with Diane Dewey. We'd love to hear from you if you have a question or comment about the show. Send us an email to diane at dianedewey.com. That's diane at dianedewey.com. Now, back to Dropping In. Welcome back, everyone. We're here with Deborah Thomas, and she's speaking to us about Lutz, her beautiful new novel, and the central character, Alma. She and her sister cross the desert not unaccompanied, we'll leave that as a dangler, Um, and they, uh, you know, emerge in the United States 
somewhat intact. I'm going to leave that as a dangler. Um, And there are times, there are moments, Deborah, that you've inserted in this tremendously difficult, ragged, raw story where the night of the thousand stars and Alma sees in her sister's eyes a light, a light of love. She feels Mm -hmm. in Manuel a transcendent form of love that will always inhabit her soul. So not only Mm -hmm. is it an inspiring, heroic um, journey from the point of view of Alma, but I was curious about how these spiritual dimensions entered your consciousness. Is it something that you yourself believe, you feel that there are certain moments that just penetrate through everything we know about the tangible world, our daily lives, or how did you, how did you arrive at that? You know, it's interesting, uh, and I know you know this because you're a writer, sometimes as you write, things come out that you didn't plan. I didn't say, I'm going to have this moment when she sees her, her sister's eyes. It came out of my fingertips from somewhere. Um, and yes, it is probably what I deeply believe. I, I desperately want to believe, you know, the, this light, this love, this, this, this something that connects us all um, and that is the, the only way to save our humanity. Um, and so, yes, um, at, at a moment of, of um, great tragedy, um, she, she feels the love and the light um, from her sister, which was you know, for me, it's Martin Luther King's quote that I, I used as an epigraph, um, darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. And that's why I wanted the cover to have the flame in the Kala Lily. Um, I, I wanted, even though this is a, a sad story in some ways, it's also about love and light. And that's what I wanted the message that I wanted people to come away with when they finished the book, that, that they would feel hope and love and light and connection. And connection. And an interesting character. She's, uh, she has math proclivities. I love that this is a woman, you know, who in another version, or you'll tell us what, whether there's going to be a sequel, um, Luz herself is become the daughter becomes a writer, but the mother Alma is got these incredible math equations that she uses. I think basically to distract her as a coping mechanism while she's traversing the desert, and they're fascinating. Um, so this is kind of you know she'd be like writing code if she you know it, it's really a kind of a cool she's kind of got a cool dimension to her as well so i think there's the you know beautiful spiritual side but there's also the cold calculated practical side of her that makes her mm-hmm. just a fascinating fascinating character i happen to know from the notes that you're work working on a new novel do these characters continue um, the novel that I'm working on now is not with these characters, no, but I have to say, I have found myself hearing Luce's voice, um, and possibly in time, because it, we would need some years to pass before Luce could tell a story. Um, mm-hmm. It closes in 2017, and she's, you know, um, she speaks of, of what her dreams are for her future and her fears for her mother. I don't know what's going to happen in the next few years. We don't know what's going to happen within the next year, do we? So I, I think I would need some distance um, before I wrote Lucy's story, but it is in the back of my mind, yes. 
And that leads me to a question that I really had all along in reading this is, how did it change you personally to write the story? Um, How did it change me? Um, And, well, let me ask you this. You've now emerged as an author who's won awards, found acceptance, (laughs) found really, I think, a receptive home in the hearts and minds of people who were yearning for a story like this. I certainly needed the good cry that came from it. There's so much frustration right now in, in daily life. No, really, it provided something for me. And, you know, you have something of a platform now, a kind of a sacred platform. I wondered how that felt and what kinds of things you'd like, you might like to do with that. Well, actually, you know, it's interesting. I mean, so for so many years, I, I've, I've done, tried writing, tried to write a novel, didn't quite find what fit, what worked. And, you know, it, it, I was thinking about this at one point. I am so glad this is the novel that's my first novel, because it is so very important that the whole concept of, 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 using fiction to experience another person's life, to connect with their life, and to have a deeper understanding. And that's what I think, uh, you know, is the most important thing to me. And so my next novel will do the same thing. Uh, The one I'm working on now, it's about a family pulling apart and coming back together. Um, It takes place in 2001 when when lives fell apart and and people came together. I mean, um, I guess that's probably... You know, when they say, you know, find your niche, I guess this is going to be mine or it is mine because that's who I am and what my life has been. And um, so I guess that's what I've learned from uh, writing this and and more than writing it than seeing the reaction to it that just Mm -hmm. so deeply gratifying and and, and touching. Absolutely. And well-deserved. I know that when you come around from the desk after you've finished writing and it becomes a conversation instead of a monologue, it is a fascinating and rewarding process to realize that, yes, you've had an impact. You've had an impact on people. And, you know, part of this theme is also... We're not prepared for anything. We don't know what's going to happen next, as you all said. And I think this mm-hmm. idea of preparedness, and if it's the tragedy of 911 or others, we're not prepared to deal with any of it. But somehow, intuitively, and connected to one another, we can kind of make our way, you know, in, in the darkness. I also wondered in this, from reading this book, you know, you deal quite a lot with trauma and the dissociation that accompanies it because there is love and loss, profound loss in Mm -hmm. this book. Mm -hmm. Um, We take the journey with Alma and she, she does experience um, dissociation, kind of outer body healing in a way where she's basically left alone by people. The kindness of strangers enters into her life and that kind of network that I do believe that the immigrant population depends upon. Did you do a lot of study or research into trauma and its effects? Um, well, n- not, I didn't do any research in particular on that. I was a nurse <laughs> for 10 oh. years, for 10 years of my adult life. Um, intensive care was my specialty. So I've certainly witnessed uh, that, um, my own personal trauma is loss of parents, of course. Um, but I've always 
felt deeply what other people experience. So if I'm reading about something like the deaths in the desert, um, like uh, Sonia Nazario's Enrique's journey, I mean, I, 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 so I'm saying yeah, I would experience it. That's what I think a reader can do with a, in a good book is experience something. And so in that way, you know, I can imagine uh, what the after effects of trauma would be um, if, if after what Alma went through, how she would feel about herself and, and that sort of thing. And I think um, that's really what writers strive for, isn't it? To put themselves in their character and say, what must this feel like, you know, no matter who they are and what the situation is. So, and I'm sure people who write, you know, about serial killers put themselves in the mind of that. What would they, you know, be thinking and feeling? Uh, so yes. I guess that's where any of that came from. Well, I'm glad you were in the head of Alma because I, I, I agree with you. It is about inhabiting characters and particularly their emotions. So I'm actually grateful to you and as a reader as well that we were dealing with um, a very strong woman, a powerful woman who really found her power. I I think too that there's this um, sense that, you know, there's a quote that the unknown is the cruelest form of suffering. Look how much unknown, well, we're living with, but then layers of that that immigrants are living with. And in the end, I think this book is such a signal of hope because there is a way of of pushing through it and finding something that resembles home, even it's, if it's a, a composite of things um, that we, you know, kind of stitch together to create a home. Big revelation for me, Barb, uh, Deborah. I'm sorry, I do do that. Ever since you said Barbara King solving, I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I went back to her. She's one of your touchstones. So I, you know, it, it's, it sometimes yeah. I get the... Yeah. Um, but no, um, so, you know, Deborah, I, I feel as though um, you you really have now, you know, you've brought us to something that we can actually use as nourishment to cope with the things that we're, you oh. know, enduring at this point. I, I really believe that. Well, that's, and that is, that's wonderful to hear. It's a huge contribution, and it's not often done. That's why I think, um, well, the the time, the effort, all of it that you went through, I, I think that there's a kind of a real um, worthwhile um, quality to all of us. Um, and and are we still, but the fact that you were a nurse, this is a total revelation. I had no idea, but when we find Alma in the hospital from, um, a series of, um, you know, tragedies that she endures somehow. I really found those moments to be incredibly authentic. Anyone that's lied on a hospital bed and had just the touch or just a word, but not the intrusion of someone who deeply cares and, um, you know, be basically leaves you alone to get better and heal. I think that's um, entirely, that scene is is very present. Um, there are strong men well, and along, women. In- along, along that line, I just want to say that while Alma is a strong, passionate young woman, which is why her father would often call her, you know, his little Dolores, Dolores Huerta, you know, that, that she, she was courageous and strong and passionate. However... She gets where she ends up because of so many people who helped her. Um, and and I, I just love the image that I've learned about trees and their roots that reach out and interact with 
different types of trees that are not of their own species, and they want them to survive because if they don't survive, the tree will Oh, weekend. I mean, we need to reach out, and that's what all these different people along the way, Lupe and Anna and the students from Borderlinks and Berta. Berta's my favorite character because she's a character who has loved and lost and continues to love again and again. So it isn't alone that we get through a journey. You know, let people come in and help you along the way, and your strength will get stronger. So I guess I just wanted to make that point. And what's more, we're finding out our interdependencies as we go along. Once one thing is out of harmony, you know, it's um, it's quite impactful to all of us. And we are much more interdependent than I think we like to think of ourselves. The selfish aspect of Alma and her inner voice talking about, I shouldn't be so selfish. I, I really liked mm-hmm. that, though, in terms of her strength. And overcoming that as a woman is not so easy sometimes. You know, well, I am going exactly. to do... Exactly. I'm going to do what's good for me. That's so foreign sometimes. There exactly. Is, and how... Yeah, I mean, if you read a lot, a lot of well, women in, in the real world and also in fiction, you know, when you come to that, okay, I, I've taken care of you and you and you, now I'm going to take care of me. But then as you turn that corner, it's like, oh, am I being too selfish? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. or being told you're being selfish. It's such, oh, it's such a, a, a fine line. It's tough. It's such a, mm-hmm. Yes, it's such a light that goes on. Loose is the light. How would you define that light? We have exactly two minutes, and I'd like you to just give us a little capsule summary. of What is the light that's coming? Just what I've talked about, that we need to open our hearts and our minds to, you know, people, um, places that we maybe don't know, or just realize how interconnected we all are and reach out for each other. That's the light. The light is that we need to be there for each other. We need to be aware of what's going on in the world. Don't say, I can't bear to hear that. Right now, there are people in detention centers who are being exposed to COVID. They don't have the safety of being at home, but there are homes they could go to here in the United States, relatives they could be with. We need Mm -hmm. to care. That's what the light is, compassion. Compassion. Okay. Deborah Thomas, you've enriched us, and thank you for sharing with us your book, deserves these awards and more. And I feel as though for each of us, remember to have compassion for those whose stories may well remain untold. You can find Deborah Thomas at Facebook, Deborah Thomas Author, Instagram, her website, Deborah Thomas Author. You can buy the book loose anywhere books are sold. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks to our engineers, Matt and Aaron. It's been a joy. Stay safe, be well, and drop in with us next week when we'll be here to share more of the human experience. Thank you so much for dropping in. Please join Diane Dewey again next Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you then. 